Welcome to Frontline Church South OKC Sermon Podcast. Each week we will have new sermon content from Sunday mornings, both video and audio options. Please visit south.frontlinechurch.com for more information. If you have any questions, need prayer, or have any other needs at all, please email hello at frontlinechurch.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today's sermon comes from Genesis 1, 1, 31, and Revelation 21, 1 through 5. The word of God speaks to us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is God's word to us. Thanks be to God. Hey, good morning. You guys can grab a seat. Hey, thanks so much for being with us. If we've not had the chance to meet, my name is Andrew. I get to serve as one of our pastors here at Frontline. So good to have you with us today. Uh, Hey, uh, I can't believe it. Next week is Christmas. Merry Christmas, anybody? Okay, that was not very convincing, but uh, hopefully your Grinch heart will die between now and next week, and you can find some joy in the world somewhere. Uh, Man, I am so excited for Christmas. It's hard to believe that we're already in this season, and I want to just say to you, if you're with us today and you're not sure kind of what we're doing as a church or where we've been, uh, what we've been doing is stepping into a season called Advent. I did not grow up in a church tradition that celebrated Advent, but Advent is doing two things that are really, really important. It's looking back on the first coming of Jesus when he entered our world as a humble baby in Bethlehem. But more than that, and the bigger focus of Advent historically, is it's looking ahead to the future coming of Jesus when he will return, not as a humble baby, but as the rightful, powerful king over every king to put everything right in our world. And so the season is a season of, yeah, looking back, but mainly looking ahead and longing. That's why if you're with us today and the songs feel a little bit different and you're like, why are we talking about, you know, come to us, Emmanuel, we need you to return, uh, these longing songs, the reason why is because often we've forgotten that the story that we're in isn't over. We actually are awaiting people. We're waiting on the future return of Jesus. So what we've been doing as a church is uh, taking a look at four things. Today is the fourth week. The first thing we talked about is the final return of Jesus. The second thing we talked about was the resurrection of the dead. What happens when people die and what happens when Jesus returns, the resurrection of the dead. Last week, we talked about Judgment Day. Merry Christmas and happy holidays. Hope that was a a joyful day for you. Talked about Judgment Day when Jesus returns to put right 
the injustices of our world. And then the, la- the last thing we're looking at today is this idea of the new heavens and the new earth. So really excited about this. Uh, this is where all of our hope comes from, uh, is what we have coming for us as the people of God. So if you're not a Christian, not sure what you believe, welcome to you. And I want to just ask you to do this before I pray. Would you pause for a minute, uh, collect your thoughts for a minute, figure out where in your soul there's brokenness, where in your family there's brokenness, where in this world that you, you acutely feel the, the broken, dysfunction way that our world is. And I don't want you to check those feelings in at the door. I want you to bring those in with you today. And I want you to just sit with that today. Sit with the pain that you're carrying. Sit with the dysfunction of what's happening in your life. God wants to meet you in all of those places today. So as we pray, just kind of, if you would, almost, almost in your soul, just bring that before the Lord. Father, would you meet us today as we look at your word? Um, thank you that the, though this is kind of a different sermon, that your word is so powerful to shape and restore us. And for so much of our lives and even this last week, we've been caught up in all these other stories. I pray today that it wouldn't be my words that carry weight, but it would be your word that carries weight, that it would restore us, it would reshape us. God, would you remind us of where we're headed, of what's coming for us, of what it is that you're going to bring when you return. And I pray that in light of that, you would pour out hope on your people. I pray today, especially for those that have no hope or are struggling to have hope. (laughs) Thank you that you're the God of all hope. And their belief or their wavering faith is not the biggest factor. You're a trustworthy God, and you're going to bring to completion what you said you would. So would you stir up hope in that today? Come, Holy Spirit, and meet us. I pray these things in your name. Amen. I want to tell you a, a tale, a true story, of two different artists. The first one is one of my favorite singer-songwriters, a girl by the name of Phoebe Bridgers. Some of you have listened to Phoebe Bridgers. Uh, If you're not familiar with her, the way I would describe her is a haunted atheist. She doesn't believe in God, and she has kind of historically been really antagonistic towards Christians, but she's haunted, and you can hear it in her music. She even talks about it in her interviews. Uh, She wants to believe, even though she doesn't. She's haunted by the thought of what if God really is true, and her music is like, classically depressing and filled with existential angst. So if you like that sort of thing, you would love her stuff. But she wrote a Christmas album that I was listening to the other day, and classic Phoebe Bridgers, it's the most depressing Christmas album you will ever hear. It is, it is like ironically depressing. Um, she ends the whole depressing album with Have Yourself uh, a Merry Little Christmas, you know, but it's like tongue in cheek, you know. And one of the songs on the album I was listening to while driving home from a funeral, and it just, it, it struck me in a really powerful way. It brought tears to my eyes. It's Silent Night, which is beautiful. But behind Silent Night, she has someone reading the 7 o'clock news. And here's what she's trying to say. Her point is while this supposed Savior, this baby that came to rescue us, is sleeping in heavenly peace in a manger, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. That while this supposed Savior is just peacefully resting and everything is sentimental and cute and sterilized over in that scene, the world is actually falling apart at the seams And he didn't really do anything about that. So she's looking at the brokenness of our world and she's making a conclusion that this God can't be trusted. He can't be real. If he really did come as a baby, why is he so sterilized and sentimentalized and and so uh, far away from us when what's really going on in our world 
is really, really tragic. It's a really sad song. Now, the other artist that I want to draw your attention to is the one who drew this piece of art right here. Uh, this is a piece of art by, by the Thomas Kincaid. Now, here's what's crazy about Thomas Kincaid. He was actually an evangelical artist uh, known as the, the uh, what, what, what do they call him? I need to look at my notes. Painter of light. That's his phrase. He's the painter of light. And if you've ever seen a Thomas Kincaid uh, painting or, or whatever, you know it right away that that's him. This is what he does because his whole idea was to always recreate something, some biblical imagery with a lot of light in it and not a lot of darkness in it. We'll get to that in just a minute. But here's what's really fascinating about Thomas Kincaid is that the very thing that Phoebe Bridgers is mocking, he sort of celebrated. This sterilized, cute, sentimental picture of Jesus entering into our world. But behind Thomas Kincaid's real life, is something really, really tragic. He was an evangelical artist that had an incredible success in the early 2000s, around $130 million in sales at his peak. His art was hanging in one out of 20 homes in America. My grandma had his art in her house. Some of your grandmas had their, maybe you're like, I have his art right now, post it up. No judgment to you if you do, that's great. And he was known to say this. Somebody asked him, hey, Thomas, what's your vision behind your art? And here's what he said. I like to portray a world without the fall. I like to portray a world without the fall. Now, that might seem noble, and that might seem really, really like a good desire to do, but the fall was a, like very much a part of his real world. If you pull back the layers of what was actually happening in his life, Thomas Kincaid was a complete mess. He was an alcoholic. He was addicted to Valium. He couldn't seem to stay away from strip clubs. Not long after hitting the height of his career in the early 2000s, his life began to spiral. His business declared bankruptcy because of his poor decisions that he was making, and those same decisions ended up pushing his family away. His wife later divorced him, and everybody abandoned him. He, he was known to have caused a commotion at a Siegfried and Roy concert where he was harassing one of the older uh, magicians, the aging illusionist, yelling obscenities at him. He was caught, true story, this is hard to believe, he was caught urinating on a Winnie the Pooh figure at a Disneyland hotel. And that's like when our culture draws the line, right? We'll put up with a lot, but if you pee on Winnie the Pooh, you're canceled. We don't want anything to do with you. And to make matters worse, when he was caught, he defended his actions by saying that he was participating in a ritual territory marking. Like, the guy had lost his mind. And his story doesn't end well. Sadly, he took his own life by overdosing on alcohol and value. So think about this. The painter of light had a world of darkness in his heart and couldn't look brokenness in the eyes so that his art came across where he just wanted to push it under the rug and pretend that the fall never really happened. Two different artists, both looking at the brokenness of our world. One says, I'm gonna become an atheist as a result of that. The other says, I'm just gonna allow that to be sentimental and paint a smile on my face and pretend like everything is okay, even when it's not. So what do we do? What do we do with the brokenness in our world? Which path should we take? Do we go towards atheism or do we just kind of go towards the sterilized, sentimentalized faux Christianity where we paint a smile on our face and actually don't acknowledge the brokenness in our world? What do we do with the fact that this world is profoundly busted and you and I have tons of stories to prove that? 
Well, here's what I want to look at today with you. I think what's happened in America with Christianity specifically, and maybe more broadly the West, what's happened is that we've taken the story of Christianity, this full story that has highs and lows and all these different elements to it, and we've sort of lopped off some really, really important features of the story of Christianity, and what we're left with is sort of a reductionistic version that can't provide hope or stability in times of suffering or tragedy or brokenness. Here's what I mean. Let me explain it like this. Uh, the best show to ever air on television, and I'm not going to argue with, with you about it, the best show to ever air on television is The West Wing. Can I get a, an amen from anybody? Thank you. Amen from a few people. It's the greatest show that's ever been on TV. I tried to show my wife The West Wing, and early on, she's now a fan, but early on, she was not interested at all. Because she uh, has busy days, and there's little kids constantly hanging all over her, we would get to the end of our day, and it's like, hey, let's watch The West Wing together. And she would love to look at her phone and catch up on her day, and I'm like, put the phone away. Let's watch the show. This is a great show. But because she was like not super interested, she'd miss the first 15 minutes of the show, all the plot that was building, all the tension. Uh, Aaron Sorkin, who wrote it, is brilliant. You've got to follow along very carefully. And then because she missed the first 15 minutes, by the time she did put her phone away, she's like, why are they arguing about this? And who is he? And what are, what, you know, what's happening? It's like, you missed the whole point. The whole first 15 minutes are setting it up. And then, you know, because she was missing the first 15 minutes, she got bored, disinterested, and stopped watching for the last 15 minutes of it. And then later, you know, we'd be laying in bed, and she's like, whatever happened with the... And it's like, you missed the whole story, right? That's happened with Christianity. We've lopped off the front part of our story, and especially the last part of our story, and Christianity has sounded something like this. Uh, Jesus loves me so much that he came and he died on a cross for me. So that if I put my trust in Jesus, when I die, I can go to be with him in heaven one day too. And that's true. There's true elements there. But there's a lot missing, primarily the beginning of that story and most importantly, the ending of that story. So here's what I want to do for the rest of our time together is I want to just go back through what our story actually is and where this whole thing is heading and what we have coming for us. Because if you don't get a vision for that, Christianity won't, won't actually matter for your life at all. Dorothy Sayers says it this way, how can anyone remain interested in a religion which seems to have no concern with nine tenths of his life? If the goal is just to like try to be a good person and wait it out till we die and go to be with Jesus in heaven one day, then we're missing the story. So in light of that, let me just kind of walk us through, starting at the very, very beginning. Here's the first thing I want you to see. Creation, life as God intended it to be. The, the very first verse in your Bible says this, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, which is interesting. If, if you put yourself in God's place for just a minute, just imagine if you're God, why create anything? It's interesting. Why, why do you need to create? You don't need anything, but why create? But here we have a God who in the beginning created the heavens and the earth. And then the very last verse of Genesis chapter 1, after the ordering and the structuring of creation, we read this. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Here's what's interesting. God creates the heavens and the earth, stands back at the very end of that time, and says, it's good. What's fascinating about the story of Genesis chapter 1 is that the God of our Bibles actually wanted to live on the earth with humanity. 
We tend to think of heaven as God's space and the earth as humanity's space, and those two don't really ever connect. But actually, in Hebrew scripture, if you carefully read Genesis chapter 1, heaven and earth overlap in this story. That yes, God dwells in, in heaven in his presence, but he created the earth. Listen to this. This is, this is very important. He created the earth to be his home with humanity. That God's vision was not to live in heaven by himself. He wanted to actually live with people on the earth, and that was the intention from day one. There's all this ancient Near Eastern language in Genesis chapter one about these temples that are being created and, and all this language that's getting pulled in from other ancient writings where it's showing that God is actually taking the Garden of Eden and forming it like a temple to be the place where his presence dwells right along with his People. And what's fascinating about this is the refrain that's said again and again and again, seven times in Genesis chapter one alone, is it was good. It was good. It was good. That what God made was good and right. And the idea that we have here is best summarized in this Hebrew word shalom. Shalom is not just a word that means peace, it means peace but it's a peace that goes to the deepest places of life. Imagine a world freed from sin, freed from shame, freed from dysfunction, and you're starting to get an idea of the type of world that God wanted the shalom world to be. Tim Keller defines it this way. Shalom means complete reconciliation, a state of the fullest flourishing in every dimension, physical, emotional, social, and spiritual, because all relationships are right, perfect, and filled with joy. Can you imagine living in a world like that, where all relationships are right and perfect and filled with joy? Where at every level, economic, social, spiritual, emotional, there's coherence, there's wholeness, there's peace, there's rightness. This was the world that God intended for humanity to live in his presence. And that leads to the second thing, which is the fall the unleashing of the curse. Even if you're not a part of a church or didn't grow up uh, hearing uh, stories of Christianity, chances are you know some of the story. You know that God created things, and then you know that something happened where Adam and Eve sinned, and it led to brokenness and dysfunction. And that's exactly what happened. In this story, you have humanity represented by Adam and Eve who reject God. They rebel against God. They reach out and they eat the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and that's at least symbolic of what they're doing on a heart level, which is saying, God, we don't need you. And in fact, we don't trust you to provide what we need. We think we can find life and peace and joy and pleasure outside of your authority and control. So Adam and Eve make the decision to reject God and to go their own way. And friends, when they sin in this way, something profound happens, not just to them and their soul, but in our world itself. And you got to see this connection. Let me show you in Genesis 3, 17. Notice where the curse of sin goes. And to Adam, God said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and I've eaten the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is what? Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. 
Friends, this is the moment as sin takes place and the curse of sin is unleashed on the world. This is the moment where everything that's right in the world starts to fall apart and get broken and distorted. Now, here's what happens. We tend to think of sin primarily as a vertical thing between us and God. And it is, first and foremost, a a vertical thing between us and God. We sin against God, ultimately, even if we sin against others. We ultimately sin against God. And as a result, that creates guilt and that creates shame in the human experience. We are now guilty before God. We can't do anything to like overcome that guilt. We can't do enough good to wash away that guilt. You and I stand as guilty before God. And because of the guilt of our sin, we have this healthy experience called shame. Shame is that feeling of like, I'm naked and I need to be clothed. I'm sinful and I need to be forgiven. I'm broken and I need to be loved. Now, there is such a thing as distorted shame or toxic shame. This is what we see happening with Adam and Eve, where they run from God rather than to God. They hide. They create fig leaves to pretend to be someone that they're not, to cover their own nakedness. That's what uh, distorted shame does. But healthy shame tells us, I'm broken. I need God to forgive me. I've done something evil. I need God to have love for me. I need God to clothe me in my nakedness. And that's how we tend to think of sin, which is good and right. But friends, sin is so much bigger than that. Sin is not just a vertical thing between us and God but it actually has profound impact on the very earth that you and I live inside of. So what I want to do is just for a moment, expand your vision of sin and its effects. I want to show you this photo. This was recently in Florida when Hurricane Ian passed through and created havoc. Now, if you are from Oklahoma, these scenes look familiar, not because we have hurricanes, but we have tornadoes. And you look at this and you think, man, what's gone wrong on the earth? that there's these natural disasters like hurricanes and tornadoes. Friends, that is the curse of sin that's been unleashed on our world. Let me show you another photo. This is the flooding that took place in Kentucky. Some of you remember this from a while back this year. What's crazy about this is it killed uh, around 25 people, maybe a little bit more. 25 people lost their lives. And you think about that, like our world needs rain, But when it rains and it rains and it rains and it rains and it doesn't stop and it floods, you think, what's wrong with our world? What's happened? It's the curse of sin that has been unleashed on our world. Let me show you another photo that's become all too familiar in your social media feeds and daily news cycles. This is a military instructor teaching Ukrainian civilians how to operate a machine gun so that they can protect their home from Russia invading them. This is early on in the conflict. And you think, man, what's gone wrong in our world where one country rises up against another country and bombs their hospitals and their schools and their town squares? Like, what's gone wrong with humanity that we treat each other this way? It's the curse of sin that has been unleashed on our world. Let me show you another photo. This is a family in Uvalde, Texas, that is mourning the loss of their children. There were 19 small children and two teachers that lost their lives because an evil, evil man went inside of a school and shot up innocent children and teachers. You think, why do we live in a world where innocent kids get their lives lost by violence and evil? It's because the curse of sin has been unleashed on our world. Here's another photo. This is a four-year-old boy wiping the tears of his father while they're in the process of getting expelled from the U.S. and getting sent back to Mexico. 
Now, now listen, I, I understand integration is a complicated issue. Set politics aside for just a minute. I, I get that it's very, very nuanced. There's a lot of people on both sides of the issue that are being incredibly thoughtful and trying to do the right thing here. Push all that to the side for a minute and just think about this for a moment. There's broken governments in our world and places, entire nations, that are so unsafe and so bad that people are trying to escape them to get to a safer place, and the thought of getting sent back there would lead someone to break down in tears. That's a broken world that we live in. And by the way, uh, Jesus experienced that, right? When he was uh, a two-year-old, he was sent uh, to Egypt up until he was two uh, for fear of getting killed by Pharaoh. He himself was an immigrant in another nation. He knows what that feels like. Our world is profoundly broken. One more, and we could keep going, but one more. This is the shoes of the victim's of a deadly Halloween party stampede in Seoul, Korea. Some of you remember this. 151 people lost their lives. They're at a party and something goes wrong and 151 people are stampeded to death. And you just think about that. Why do we live in a world where unexplainable tragedies occur and people that are just going to a party don't think that that's gonna be the last day that they're alive on earth? What's gone wrong? It's the curse of sin. Now, friends, I know that that's heavy, but here's my point that I want you to see. These are just photos from the last year, the last 12 months. That's not to think about the last 12 years or the last 22 years or the last 200 years or 5,000 years. We live inside of a world where there's constant brokenness all around, and the, the sin has created a vertical reality between us and God, but it's also created a horizontal reality where we don't just have a world where there's guilt and shame, but we also have a world where there's profound dysfunction and destruction as a result of the curse. You feel this and I feel this. In fact, we could pause right now and we could go around the room and just share stories of things that you're carrying in your family, things that are happening in your soul, things in your own story, things inside of the people that you know and love. And we would be haunted by the stories that are in this room of suffering and evil and sadness and tears and mourning and crying. This is the world that we live in. And if there's anything in you that says, this isn't right, it shouldn't be like this, it's because you miss the world that God created us to live inside of. You have a haunting for that world. You remember what Eden was like. Fleming Rutledge says this in her Advent book, the world was not created to be the way it is. We are not supposed to be reading and hearing bad news every day. The world is not supposed to be filled with earthquake, fire, and flood, with plague, pestilence, and famine. It is one sign among a trillion others that creation is bent out of shape. Do you feel this? Do you feel the, the brokenness of creation? Do you sense it? Do you, do, you, do you walk around thinking about it? Maybe you try to avoid it, but this is our world that we're in. Thankfully, this is not where the story stops. Leads me to the third thing I want you to see, which is our redemption. The whole point of Christmas is that Jesus comes to bear the curse of sin. There's this amazing verse in Galatians, which I think is like one of the best ways to envision Christmas. Galatians 3 verse 13 says this, that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing, that's the opposite of the curse, 
the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Friends, this is what Christmas is all about, that God entered our world, the world of darkness, of brokenness, of evil, of suffering, of injustice. God, he didn't stay far away. He entered our world as a baby so that he would be broken by the brokenness of the curse so that we could be blessed by him. That Jesus on the cross, he came so that he would bear the full weight of the brokenness and the curse of this world, of our sin getting put on him and the curse of all that's gone wrong getting put on him so that the blessing, what God intended us to experience in Genesis chapter one, would be unleashed on the world instead. Jesus was plunged into darkness so that we could be brought to the light. Jesus was plunged into death so that we could be brought to life. Jesus was sent out of the presence of God so that we could be brought back to the presence of God. He took the curse on himself so that you and I might receive the blessing of Abraham. That's what Christmas is all about. And this is why Phoebe Bridgers, her song, it brought me to tears when I heard it. Because what she doesn't understand, she's looking at this and she's saying, this baby is sleeping in heavenly peace while the world is falling apart. What she doesn't understand is that that baby is God who entered into the world that's falling apart. He actually entered into the world that's falling apart and he himself was pulled apart on the cross so that this world could be put back together. He didn't come to sleep in heavenly peace. Jesus came to scream out, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me so that we could cry out, thank you for accepting me? This is the Christmas story. Now, I've shown you a lot of really sad photos, and I want to show you one really beautiful one. I've shown you this one before, but this one's powerful to me. This is what I think of when I think of Christmas. It's a a picture of Mary, pregnant with baby Jesus, comforting Eve. Eve feels the weight of her sin. She feels what she's unleashed, what her and Adam have unleashed into our world. And there's this promise in Genesis 3 that one day there's going to be a son that's born of this woman. There's going to be a son that's born and he will crush the head of the serpent. But in the process, he will have his, his heel be bruised. He will be hurt, but bring destruction on the serpent. And I love that Mary's foot is stepping on the head of the serpent saying, hey, Eve, it's okay. You've unleashed sin and dysfunction in the world, but there is one who is coming who is going to unleash blessing into this world. That's what Christmas is all about. Now, sadly, this is where the story for most of us stops. And then we say, all right, so let's try to live good lives and not make God upset. And just if we need him, we'll pray. And other than that, let's just wait until we die and we'll spend forever in heaven with him one day. And that's the end of the story. But if that's the end of the story, we've got kind of a sad story. That's not the end of the story. That's not even the full part of the story. That's maybe not even the the beginning of the story because really this story culminates in the fourth thing I want you to see, which is restoration, the arrival of the new heavens and the new earth. Friends, there is something yet coming for you as a Christian that you have not even been, been able to wrap your head or heart around yet. That, that yes, Jesus came once to forgive us for sins, but friends, he's coming again, not to forgive sins, but to heal our broken world. 
This day is coming. Let me read you Romans 8, 18. Listen to these words from the Apostle Paul. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed. Think about your life, the sufferings, the tragedy, the brokenness. It's not even worth comparing to what's coming for you in Jesus. What's coming for us? Well, verse 19, he says, For the creation waits with eager longing. Notice that. What waits? The creation, the the earth, the world, the plants, the animals, the trees. This world waits with eager longing for what? For the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Friends, here's what Paul is saying, and it's powerful. That salvation, capital S salvation, is so much bigger than God forgiving you of your sins and making you right with God so that you can live in heaven forever. Salvation also entails not only the vertical effects of our sin, but the horizontal effects of our sin. And there's coming a day where not only is God going to bring people back from the dead that have died in Christ and reunite them to their bodies, but when Jesus returns and raises people from the dead, he is also going to do something to this earth to fix it and remake it and undo and release the curse of sin off of this earth so that we can experience the world that God intended us to experience. This is so much better than what your Sunday school teacher told you growing up, God bless her, that you're gonna you know, spend your eternity walking on streets of gold and you know, playing harps and you know, doing all... No, 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 listen. If you're a Christian and you die today, you will go to heaven to be with Jesus, but heaven is not your eternal home. This earth is your eternal home. That Jesus isn't throwing it away in the trash can. The the creation itself is longing to be made right. The tornadoes are are longing to go away. The, The earthquakes and the hurricanes and the natural disasters and the tragedies and the school shootings and the injustice and people fleeing their countries because they're unsafe. The creation is longing to be made right. And friends, that day actually is going to happen. We wait and long and look for that day. And the pain that we have now, it's childbirth pain. Think about that imagery that Paul uses, childbirth pain. Um, my wife, when we got pregnant with our, our first Evie, uh, her labor was absolutely unbelievable, 55 hours long, 55 hours long. I, I don't know how, but I survived. I did it. I was, <laughs> I may, you know, I'm just tough like that. And was able to make it through. I mean, it was, it was honestly awful to watch her go through that. And she's unbelievably tough. And um, I remember multiple times, like, legitimately being afraid. Afraid for her and her well-being and her life. Afraid for Evie. I kept having thoughts like, is my daughter going to survive this? Is my wife going to survive this? I mean, doctors were around and everybody. But I still was like, how does anybody survive this? And then Evie was born. 
And man, when Evie was born, it's like my wife and I just forgot about all that. It's the baby's here. We just bawled and wept. It's like so much joy. The baby's here. Friends, I don't know what you're carrying. I don't know what pain is happening in your life. I don't know what's off, what's wrong, what's not right in your world. It's childbirth pain. And pain is never fun, but knowing that pain isn't just for pain's sake, but that pain is leading to a birth changes everything about how we live now, doesn't it? There's coming a day where the earth will be reborn and we'll get to experience life as God intended it to be. One more verse. Finally, Revelation 21, where we started. Look at verse one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Now let me just pause here on this. When it says new heaven and new earth, scholars debate about this, but most scholars agree that what's being described here is not God throwing the earth in the trash can and starting over. Most scholars agree that this is a spiritualized reality where the curse is lifted off of this actual earth. God doesn't throw the earth in the trash can and literally remake another one. Remember Genesis chapter one, it is good, it is good, it is good. The regular mode that God has is not destruction, it's redemption and restoration. He loves this earth. He's going to redeem and restore this earth. When Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He's not saying that when you become a Christian, you as a human entity cease to exist and he remakes another version of you. It's a spiritual reality where he makes you new from the inside out. And literally there's going to come a day where he gives you a resurrected new body. The same is true of this earth. When it says new earth, it's not brand new as he starts over. It's the earth as God intended the earth to be. Friends, that means that there will be a Colorado in the new earth. Amen? There, there will be a Costa Rica and a Hawaii and all those places. You're like, I've never been to Italy. You'll have time. You'll have time. It's going to be this earth, but the way that God intended the earth to be. If you think otherwise, I would challenge that thought. There's not one verse in scripture, not one, that even hints at God throwing the earth away to start over. This is his plan from day one. And some of you are like, but it says the sea will be no more. I love the ocean. Well, it's not actually saying the sea is going to go away. Remember, in biblical theology, the sea is representative of all that's chaotic and evil and dysfunctional in our world. The sea throughout all of the Old Testament, especially all of the, all of the Bible, but especially the Old Testament and the Psalms, prophetic literature, the sea is a representation of chaos. What it's saying here is that chaos will be no more. This world will exist, but without the chaos without the brokenness, without sin. Verse two, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, what you and I think of as heaven, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Does that sound like Genesis 1? Because it is. The, we start back to where God intended us to be with God dwelling with humanity. Now look at this verse. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. 
And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. It says, I am making all things new, not I am making all new things. He's making this world new. And friends, there is coming a day where Jesus personally will reach down, look you in the eyes, and wipe your tears away. You'll remember life on this present world, this present earth, and the pain and the suffering and the dysfunction as a distant, distant memory, so much so that we'll refer to it as the former things have passed away. That life has passed away. Those sufferings have passed away. What I have now is God's presence with me in a renewed, redeemed, restored earth. So friends, the world is not going to hell in a handbasket. It's not a ship that's sinking that God is trying to get people rescued off of safely to the shores of heaven. This world is one where he is coming to renew it and restore it as he intended it to be. So where do we go from here? Well, I'll close with this. I want, I want to invite you to do two things real quickly. Embrace eschatological hope. Embrace eschatological hope. And I know that word eschatological is weird. It means like the future coming of Jesus, the the last things. Here's what often happens with you and I because we live in this tension of Advent. Uh, As as Janiel Alexander says, we have inherited a season under stress shaped by darkness and light, dread and hope, judgment and grace, second and first comings, terror and promise, end and beginning. And what often happens is that we fall into one error And that's to become too heartbroken by our world, where we look around and we feel the pain of our own life and we're just broken by it. We're absolutely undone by it. And if that's you today, if you're just absolutely heartbroken by our world, I want you to remember and stand in the hope, Jesus is coming again. We know the end of the story. Jesus wins. That's the end. The second error that we often fall into is becoming too excited about our world. We look around and we, be, we become too excited. And I just want to say that actually we need to hold back some of our hope for the age to come. Because yes, Jesus is coming again, but we currently wait. And things are not as they should be and as they will be when he returns. So let's stand in proper hope, right? Where we're not like sentimental and sterilized, painting on smiles, but we're also not just absolutely undone with depression but we can stand in the hope of what Jesus is coming to do. Amen? The last thing is this. Let's fight for real joy. Real joy, not holiday sentimentality. Let's fight for real Christian joy because I know that some of you are carrying profound pain. Some of you are carrying profound suffering, but these words are true. He is coming to wipe away all your tears. He is coming to do away with death. Sorrow and mourning and crying and pain will be no more. They will be the former things. That day is coming for you. We're going to close, and I want to invite you to stand with me. We're going to close a little bit differently. Um, One of my favorite Christmas songs is Joy to the World. What's funny about Joy to the World is Isaac Watts, who wrote Joy to the World, didn't write it about Christmas. He wasn't thinking about the first coming of Jesus when he wrote Joy to the World. Do you know what he was thinking about? He was thinking about the second coming of Jesus. Isaac Watts was looking over a landscape and he was actually envisioning the moment of what would happen on earth when Jesus returned. So he wrote these lyrics down. And what we're gonna do is actually close by inviting you to come and receive communion. 
You're gonna grab the bread and grab the wine and go back to your seat. We're gonna hold these, uh, these things in our hands and we're gonna sing joy to the world together as a kind of a staking our flag and the hope of the second coming of Jesus, right? And then after we sing together, we're gonna receive this meal together. And if you're not a Christian, I just wanna say, man, we are so honored by your presence. We love that you're with us. I'm gonna ask you to abstain from this meal. This is a meal for followers of Jesus. This is a meal for those of us who have repented of sin and placed our faith in him and demonstrated that through baptism. If that's not true of you, then it's not weird for you to uh, sit in your seat. It's actually weird for you to come and take the meal. So you can honor us by just staying in your seat. If you're a follower of Jesus, uh, come and receive the bread, receive the cup, and listen to these words as you come and receive the elements. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Let this be the anchor of your hope. Put your flag in this hope. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. Why? Because he comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Followers of Jesus, you're invited. Come receive the bread, receive the cup, go back to your seats, and let's sing together these words.